listen to Immigration Podcast, I believe in the known universe. Is that right, David, as far as we know? Very close. Nothing coming in from Mars yet, right? Nothing from Mars. But the, the interesting thing, we uh, on our survey show, yes, um, we had a gentleman that was talking about surveying Mars. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the one that... Uh, if man ever makes it to Mars. Which we will, because Elon Musk was going to go there. So, yeah, yeah we got uh, it. But they, they would use, you know, they couldn't use magnetic anything because it would throw everything off. And uh, it, it was a very interesting show, how to... How, how to survey Mars. Yeah. Well, you can survey my garden. My garden's like Mars, uh, at least until this last Saturday when I decided to mow all the all the weeds down. In fact, you know I was going to pull them out or chew them down or round up them? I said, that's what God invented lawnmowers. So we got the lawnmower in there, and it's amazing. It looked like it was full of weeds, but once you cut them down, there's not that many weeds. Yeah. A lot of space between. They're just really big heads. So, uh, but I, you know, the good news is I cut them, I mowed them before they seeded, which means I'll have fewer seeds next year when I'm not even owning the property anymore. Uh, but I pulled off about a three pound zucchini and a couple a couple squash, and I got a whole bunch more growing in there. Lots of tomatoes are growing. My peppers. This could be the pepper year. The pepper year. The pep- this could be the year of the pepper and the year of the okra for you. Uh, so I know everybody knows, listens to this show a long time ago. David is a big okra fan. So I'm going to make sure I bring you a big bag of okra here in about a month or so is my guess. My six t- corn plants probably not going to produce, but uh, that grew. But uh, my okra will be just fine. So how's your garden? Uh, your at the new place. Well, there is no garden I, at the new place. Oh, my, 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 oh Dave, this is this is a long term project. Uh-huh. This is going to take until next spring before I have anything. Uh, I have to chop down probably about twenty trees. Um, so I need to sharpen up my chainsaw. Uh, I can take down eighteen of those trees myself, but there's two. About a hundred foot oaks back there. Big oh, you're going to take down the oaks. Well, you know, I might not have to. They appear to be trimmed high enough, or at least be branchless high enough that it probably won't interfere. So I'll probably leave the oaks. Uh, but I'm going to get all rid of the. You know, I got a lot of scrub, a lot of that gum tree junk, and a lot of junk trees. Uh, but I did go in my backyard last week, and uh, you'll be glad to know I walked out with my dog to go take a, take a leak. There's two bucks in my backyard. Yeah, a four point and a two point. The dog is deaf and can't hardly see squat. Thirteen uh, year old Weimaraner doesn't even see them. He's sniffing the ground. He finds out where he wants to pee, and he just peed. He's he's taking his leak, and they're just looking at him. They can't be more than like twelve feet away. They're just looking at him, and he gets done, and he just starts walking. Still doesn't see them, and then they take off. You know. So, you but have, I know I'm going to have a problem in my new house as well. So, oh yeah. Well, we have deer. Um, I mean, we have. Five and oh. six uh, herds. Uh, you have a herd. A small herd, yes. But the other thing that you'll find that you'll have, and I we have them and I don't like it, but uh, it's, that's part of it, is uh, cowities. Cow what? Cowities. Oh. Yeah. You will have them. And yeah. you got them, whether you yeah. know it or not. And uh, I had, uh, this was several months ago, but as I was leaving to come to work, you know, and I, I, I leave early. Mm-hmm. Two of them just walked right in front of my car across my driveway like they owned the place. And uh, Well, we're going to be chopping them down, and we're going to be doing the raise, but I've got, I've got the design now laid out in my head, and uh, my backyard is kind of slanted, so it's, uh, it's about 10, 12 feet higher 
on the uh, on the west on the east than it is on the west. It kind of goes downhill, and so we're going to tear that garden and do some uh, do some Incan farming mm-hmm. with some raised beds, and uh, I think it's going to actually be very cool uh, when we get it done. I do desperately need a shed, however. Because I have all this stuff from my last shed that is still in my shed at my old house in my garage that I need to get into a shed since I have a little bit smaller garage. But it's great to be with you this week, David. Uh, as you know, last week, uh, you may have read the paper here in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, David, or, or our listeners may have seen it because we got a lot of national press on this, is we had oral arguments in the Georgia Court of Appeals last Thursday on the issue of in-state Georgia resident tuition for DACA students. Now, as most of our listeners who are immigration lawyers or involved in immigration know, DACA is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And it has, been a, it has been a long fight now, over four years, five years since DACA passed, of course, uh, since it was created, but four years since we began the litigation on this case, initially losing uh, all the way in the Georgia Supreme Court on the issue of sovereign immunity. David, I will tell you, that, that case that we lost last year on sovereign immunity just came back and bit everybody else in the bum. Did you hear about this yesterday? No. All right. You know, Georgia just passed uh, this, uh, within the last couple of years, they passed the 20-week abortion bill, that you couldn't have an abortion after 20 weeks or something like that. And the Georgia Supreme Court refused to rule on the constitutionality of that bill. And do you know why? Sovereign immunity. The same reason we ended up losing on the, on the, on the case for in-state tuition uh, which basically says you can't sue the king because the king is the king unless the king lets you sue the king and so forth, you can't sue the king. Uh, and so sovereign immunity and apparently the Georgia Constitution is locked shut down even on constitutional issues, which is insane when you think about it. Uh, why wouldn't you be able to sue the state of Georgia on constitutional violations? At least in state court, you have a, you have a sovereign immunity bar. Um, in any event, we lost that. And in that, and again, in this lawsuit, they also came out and said, yeah, but you can sue the individuals on, uh, individually. Now, this is actually good for us because our oral argument was focused on that issue. So, David, because we won this case, uh, the second go-around on a mandamus action suing the individual members of the Board of Regents, uh, we were actually quite fortunate uh, to see that the uh, uh, that uh, the, this court reaffirmed, in which we will, of course, do a supplemental brief now to the Board, Court of Appeals, the issue of suing the individual members of whatever state agency you're going after for a violation of their constitutional duties or their oblig- obligatory duties that they're required to follow. So we filed this lawsuit as a mandamus action last June, and the Superior Court of Fulton County, Judge Tucson, ruled in our favor and ordered the Board of Regents to give in-state tuition to all DACA recipients who otherwise meet the requirements for in-state tuition here in Georgia. Uh, and that came down on December 30th at 11.54 p.m. Uh, unfor- and Judge Tucson refused to stay that order, and, but the Court of Appeals unfortunately did. Now, we, uh, we then drew uh, our Court of Appeals panel for this last week. I was uh, very excited to hear the judges. Uh, I thought they did an excellent job. They were clearly well prepared. Uh, and, you know, they were concerned about some of the issues in this case on both sides of the aisle. From our point of view, I think the concern that, the, that one of the justice judges had was really quite proper, which was, isn't this a legislative issue? Shouldn't the legislature just grant them in-state tuition? I said, well, of course, we would love them to do that. But they haven't done so, and neither have they barred in-state tuition. 
the state is making a rather unique argument, David, uh, that there that the state statute, which talks about uh, tuition for non-citizens, somehow bars uh, these uh, students from receiving in-state tuition, when in fact it does no such thing. It, it's one of those things, David, where there's a statute, and how sh- you know we're lawyers, at least many of us listen to this, we're lawyers. A statute must be read according to the plain meaning of its words uh, and in the order it is written. So there is a sentence with a period. That ends that sentence. Unless, unless it is joined with a modifier of some kind, like and or but or 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 if or some other type of conjunctive phrase, the next sentence is a separate sentence that does not necessarily modify the previous sentence. It is a separate declaratory statement. Uh, the government was trying to argue that uh, three sentences in a statute passed by the state legislature were somehow conjunctive when they were really literally talking about three separate things as pertain to non-sentences. Now, obviously, might be you might chalk it up to inartful drafting and course, the Georgia State Legislature is an expert in inartful drafting, uh, and I'm, I tire of correcting them in their proposals uh, of their of their uh, statutes uh, that they draft and present every year for our review. Uh, but this was really interesting. So we, as we appealed this, we didn't appeal uh, the government, the the Board of Regents, uh, led by the Attorney General, or argued by the Attorney General, appealed this case. Um, I thought the the attorney representing the Attorney General's office did did an exceptional job. He is a good man. Uh, I think he's an is it, he's a terrific lawyer. Um, I think he's wrong on the issues, but uh, you know it, it is it is the position he is required to take for his client. I believe it is immoral uh, for the state agency and the individuals charged with the education and future of our children to deny those same children the right to attend school in Georgia, especially when those same children are tax-paying, otherwise tax-paying residents of the state of Georgia. Really quite simple. I mean, if, if I'm in Georgia and I am legally here, I am lawfully present in the state, which has been our argument about these kids all along, they have lawful presence, I'm legally here. I paid. You take my money. You're more than happy to take my tax money. Uh, I otherwise meet every criteria for in-state tuition, and you tell me then I cannot pay in-state tuition because something my parents did to me 25 or 20 or 18 years ago. There's a certain morality that comes with it. It's not a question of legality. Well, they should obey the rule of law and just get a student visa. Well, there is no student visa for these kids. They're not eligible for a student visa. They can't leave the country. They'll always be barred for the next 10 years to come back. In reality, then, they're never coming back to the United States. Uh, these kids are, by every measure that I can tell, Americans. Uh, they pledge allegiance to our flag uh, their entire lives. Uh, they have uh, studied our history. They have learned our culture. They are our Americans. But I have many of their parents complain to me that their kids have forgotten their own culture, quote, their culture that the parents had. Uh, the same complaints I'm sure my grandparents said of my dad uh, when he, you know, as they acculturated the United States from Germany. So we had this oral argument. Uh, the government went first. The government, uh, this, is, this is the one part about appeals that I like and don't like. I love the fact, David, that I didn't have to appeal. It's great, you know. The downside is I only get to argue once. Uh, the government gets to argue twice. They get their opening argument. I get my, my rebuttal, and then they get their reply. 
Um, and so I this time uh, I did not get the last word, which is always disheartening because I love having the last word. It's something I just love to do. Uh, and it, it was interesting because as as we talked about this statute and as we talked about you know what the Board of Regents meant when they did this and why they did this and why they're violating the law as they do this, it really became quite clear that the judges knew not only was this immoral, I think they all agreed it was immoral, but I think they may agree it's illegal. And that's really the ultimate issue here. Is it, can, can the Board of Regents ultimately create a policy that says that anyone who otherwise meets the intake tuition requirements and who is lawfully present in the state can get in-state tuition and then say that DACA kids who the federal government says are lawfully present in this state and otherwise meet state tuition because do not get in-state tuition and then argue that the Court of Appeals has no right or that any court has any right to tell the court, uh, tell the Board of Regents that they're wrong. I mean, that's what they're saying. We can make any law we want. We can interpret it any way we want. And you can't do anything about it. That, that David, should upset a lot of people. That should get a lot of people kind of angry about how government works. Do you think government should work like that? I mean, think about that. If you're interested in a particular topic and a government agency makes a rule on it that is contrary to what you believe it is, what happens now in Georgia, at least the attorney general's argument is, you can't complain about it. I'm sorry. We are God. We are the king. We can make all the rules we want. And we can interpret it any way we want. For anybody who's an immigration lawyer, you're going, my goodness, that sounds a lot like ICE uh, and how they interpret their rules. Uh, let's take our first break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. Coming soon, only on AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. The Insurance Deal. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's great to be back with you today. So, David, as I was talking about the oral argument in this case, our argument was really quite simple. Uh, and, in fact, I posted my oral argument um, in two ways. One, my written oral argument is on our blog at Musings. Uh, uh, on immigration.blogspot.com. About to be changed over. We're going to move our blog to our website at immigration.net. We're in the middle of revamping our website, much like America's Web Radio has revamped their awesome website, which is now carried live to millions of people around the world uh, every single day. Um, and uh, my, my team, as well as Telemundo Atlanta, Facebook lived 
my oral argument. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it, David. I mean, you should actually spend 15 minutes. It's worth, actually, it's only 13 minutes and 22 seconds because I ended early. I should get kudos for ending early, by the way. Extra, extra points. Um, and uh, watch my Facebook Live argument. Now, the audio is not great because they were standing to the side. It wasn't the podium audio. But at the same time, it was, I think it came out okay. I'd love to get people's feedback on what they thought of the, of the audio. So you can go to Cook Immigration uh, on Facebook Live, take a look at our audio, or Telemundo Atlanta also has it. Um, I don't know how to get Facebook Live video any into anything else. I don't know how that actually works. I don't think you can do that. I'd love to figure out a way. There must be a way. There's got to be a way. That export. You, you, would, you would think so. You would hope that that could happen. Uh, the good news is they didn't YouTube the government. They didn't, video, they didn't Facebook Live the government's argument. Um, but my argument was really quite straightforward, uh, that uh, the Board of Regents, in fact, is responsible to, to the people it serves. Uh, they, in fact, cannot make, make up words. Words, in fact, have plain meanings, uh, and these plain meanings have long-term consequences for, for everybody. And you can't just literally go around inventing words and inventing meaning. Especially the best part about my argument was um, the government argued, well, you know, lawful presence doesn't always mean what the government says it means. We have an internal memo from the Board of Regents which says the federal government determines what legal presence, lawful presence is. So, you know, they're kind of contradicting themselves as part of this oral argument. Uh, but one of the things that I loved in this, for the very first time on appeal, because I didn't do this anywhere else, uh, the Board of Regents argued that the Georgia Constitution bars any suit, uh, presumably even a mandamus action, against any officials or state employees unless so authorized by the... Uh, uh, by the State Tort Claims Act or other law. Now, here's my question, David. Uh, and I was literally thought of this as I was in oral argument, as the government was making what I thought was a really disingenuous argument as part of this. The members of the Board of Regents, uh, are they state employees? Why do you think they're state employees? How do you know they're paid? Oh, no, no, that's not true. In fact, most of these appointed positions, in fact, are not paid. Hmm. All right. But are they actually employees of the state? Well, they could be contractors. They could be um, uh, honorarium. That is, I mean, an employees has a very specific meaning, don't you think? I mean, do you have any employees, Dan? If, uh, You've had them in the past. If they have a scheduled time. They're right. They're, they're employees, right. They're employees, right? The Board of Regents, they don't, they don't have to report for work, right? They only meet once a quarter. They don't, I mean, they all have jobs. They're all appointed as officials, like the mayor's, Mayor, Mayor Reed's wife was just appointed to the Board of Regents. They're not employees, right? So they're not part of that. Um, and uh, are they officials of the state of Georgia? Well, that's a good question. Do you know what an official is? Do you would think uh, that the state legislature would have defined the word official? In, in fact, they have. In the state ethics rules, do you know what an official is? Somebody's elected. So if they're not officials and they're not a state employees, what are they? Well, well, one thing I do know, they're not protected by the state constitution. I mean, that that's a reality. The government did not respond to that point. Interesting. They did not respond to that point. 
I'm going to, I am tempted to file a supplemental brief on that issue because I think it's important for the government to, re, to the court to realize that one of their base arguments is completely void. It's just void. Um, I'm going to do a little more research on this thing, you know, because I, I literally could discover no information about whether appointed members of the state board of regents are employees of the state or not. Uh, when I teach, when I taught, for example, for 13 years at the University of Georgia as an adjunct professor, I was a state employee. Okay, I got a I got a paycheck four months of the year, and then they fired me every year. They hired me, fired me, hired me, fired me. That's how they did that, and I was part of the state compensation system. Is that what happens to the Board of Regents? Are they employees of the state in that regard? I don't know. I argued that they weren't, and the government presented, and I said the government presented no evidence they're state employees or that they are elected officials. So, then what would give them the authority? Well, they're they're members of the Board of Regents. They, have, they don't. I mean, they could be something else, but they don't have to be employees of the state. I mean, them them the, well, the governor does. I mean, under the, the well, the Georgia Constitution authorizes the appointment of members of the Board of Regents. The governor. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't that, uh, in my opinion, if uh, that would make you a state, whether you're quote-unquote employee or not, but you would be a a state. You remember what we talked about earlier, that words have meaning according to their plain intent. State employee would mean somebody who's in the control and direction of somebody in the state. These guys clearly are independent decision makers. They're not clearly not employees. Uh, uh, so I'm just curious. I'm, I'm again. The government has presented nothing on this issue about whether they're employees of the state. Nothing. They just made it. They just literally just vomited out an argument without substantiating. I'm going to be curious. So that was one of their arguments, uh, which I don't think holds any water whatsoever. Uh, the next argument was, of course, they're 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 covered by what's called official immunity. Now we talked previously about well, wait so- a second. You said an official was elected. That that is actually defined by the state ethics code. So how could they be officials? Well, not officials. I don't think they're officials. That, that goes to their next argument. So they they, they 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 are covered by what's called political or official immunity. That is when a state employee or official is acting in the context of their job duties, they cannot be sued. It's like an office. Let's see a police officer. Uh, can be can he be sued for uh, improper use of force? Well, if he's in his normal duties, you'd have to show some sort of breach of uh, standard of care of some kind. Very hard to do. Okay, uh, so the, they don't want people being second guessed by their actions, etc. Official immunity has a place, but we're not suing them for damages. We're 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 suing them because we want them to literally implement a law according to its plain language, and they are violating our rights by not implementing that law according to its plain language. So they claimed official immunity, and the cases they cited in support of their official immunity claim were all torts cases. We're not a torts case. We're not seeking damages of any kind. Uh, We're literally just arguing the case straightforward about whether or not they're implementing a policy correctly. Very simple. Uh, if they win on the official immunity clause, David, at that point, there is literally nothing that any resident of the state of Georgia can do to stop a government official from running the rules at his agency however they want, regardless of how they affect people. They literally 
you are literally relying on the goodwill of the state employee for your rights. Does that make you a little queasy? It should make everybody queasy. I mean, it makes me queasy to think about that. So uh, that was their second argument as part of this. And their final argument, of course, is that uh, you know, there's no such thing as lawful presence as defined. It could be anything, and we define it a different way. Although, again, they could never point to any place where they have actually defined lawful presence. They literally don't have it anywhere. They just never defined it. They just said, it's not this. Well, you can't use words that have very specific legal meaning and then change those without actually telling you how you did it. You just That, that, that violates basic principles of statutory construction. Uh, I, thought, I thought our arguments were good. But, you know, the other, the other actual really compelling part of last Thursday's argument, which was on June 15th, 2017, as it was the five-year anniversary of DACA, which was established on June 15th, 2012. But perhaps even more importantly, David, and even more, I don't want to use the word ironic, because it's not ironic in the true sense of the word, uh, but you know what the word we would use is sad. It was the 35th anniversary of Plyler versus Doe. Now, David, you're a Texas boy. Do you remember Plyler versus Doe? 1982, the Supreme Court said that no child can be deprived of a public education because of his immigration status. State of Texas, Plyler, Department of Education versus Doe, an unnamed child, immigrant child, undocumented in the state of Texas. No child can be deprived of the right to public education because of their immigration status. And yet, 35 years after... Plyler versus Doe in 1982. I believe that might have been, is that the Rehnquist Court uh, decision? Was that when Rehnquist was already in at that point? I believe so. Um, was uh, a landmark decision on the right of public education in America uh, 30 years after Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, and yet now we're 35 years into that and we're still fighting about the rights of brown kids to go to school in America, in schools they pay for with their tax dollars because of the accident of their birth and their parents' decisions for them. Uh, it, is, uh, it was ironic and uh, sad. And I, I mentioned that in my oral argument. And I will tell you, uh, David, we had two um, wonderful African-American judges, and their ears perked right up. And they were like, wow, today? Yes, today is that anniversary. And yet here we stand on the cusp of a continued immoral act by the, by the Georgia Board of Regents in denying these same children, who we now educate in our public schools, the right to go to our public universities. Now, one of them just asked an interesting argument. Well, they can go to our schools. He says, no, no. There is at least four schools that they cannot attend in Georgia. Uh, and uh, because, regardless of how qualified they are because of this law, and more importantly, by, by charging them four, five, six, seven times the amount of in-state tuition, you are effectively depriving them of an education. You are delaying their education. And I even made a point to the court. And because the Court of Appeals had made uh, a stay, had issued a stay in this case, that these kids had lost a, an entire another year of their education. So instead of taking four, five, six classes, they were taking one or two classes. And further behind their siblings, their classmates, and their friends 
in pursuing their education. Uh, th- David, this is a fight that I am proud to be part of. Uh, we're, we're handling this case pro bono as we have from the beginning. And we're doing it because, not because I'm an expert in state law. In fact, far be it, David, I'm not an expert in state law. Uh, I'm not an expert on sovereign immunity. I'm not an expert on uh, mandamus. But I do know what right is. And I know what justice is. Uh, and I know what is morally correct. And we are on the correct side of history on this case. Uh, we are on the side of the angels for people who understand that you cannot take hope away from children. You cannot take a desire to succeed away from children and believe that your society is going to be any better in the long run. We simply cannot do that. Um, and, and to believe that... Uh, Members of both political parties aren't screaming from the rooftops at the xenophobic rationale behind denying in-state tuition to these kids, to me, is shocking, morally shocking, uh, because there is no argument. There simply is no argument you can make about the rule of law or about rights or about justice that in any way justifies these actions, especially, especially... When the Georgia Board of Regents allows members, uh, students of the states of Alabama, North Carolina, Florida, and Tennessee to receive in-state tuition in Georgia if they go to certain schools, and they won't give it to the kids who grew up here and pay taxes here, it is wrong. Let's take our break here on America's Web Radio on the Immigration Hour. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Coming soon, only on AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. The Insurance Deal. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David and I were discussing many other injustices off the air. David, by the way, is a flaming liberal underneath that bear of a conservative outbearing that he has. Uh, David, today, I want to skip topics today, is the runoff here in Georgia. The most expensive house rate race in United States history in the sleepy suburbs of Atlanta, right where our show is being recorded right where David and I live. Uh, we are both voters in the in the Georgia 6th District here. And, Jeff, you've been here, all, what, all 40 years that, that Gingrich was here? How long have you been here in Georgia? Since 73. So you've been here since the last time a Democrat was in this seat, right? Oh, yeah. So uh, who, who who did Gingrich be? He'd be a Democrat, I know, back in the day. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, remember, that's how important that guy was. <coughs> so 40 years at Gingrich... 
<coughs> you had Isaacson, who's now a senator. You had Price. And now you, you, the question is, who's going to be the next congressman? David asked me before going on the air, who is going to win today? <coughs> Excuse me, everybody. And David, that's a good question. Who do you think is going to win today? A person that's probably only going to serve for one short term. You know, I think that actually may very well be true. I think this is a race. I agree with you. This is a race for an 18-month seat. This is one of the reasons why I chose not to run, ultimately, because it was a race. When I realized that the the final election wasn't until the end of June, this is an 18-month seat. So you're going to spend a lot. Now, because remember we were talking, this would be like $2 million. It's going to be really expensive. And $53, million, $55 million. Now, of course, neither candidate raised that money. I mean, that includes all the special interest money. And... Plenty of Republican money, plenty of Democrat money came from out of state in, in PACs. And, you know, this is, this is a bit interesting. David, do you watch regular television, David? Like over the broad? I don't ever watch regular television. So I have seen very little in the way of television ads in this race. But I do know there's been a bucket full. Now, one thing I do do is I do watch cable news and I do listen to uh, XM and Pandora Radio. Pandora, actually, every five songs plays, plays an ad. They've been playing, I can tell where I live, I guess, they've been playing Handle Osof ads. And, uh, you know, this is the most unoriginal advertising from either candidate I have ever seen. Maybe it's because both candidates literally have so little background in doing anything, both of them, that there's really nothing you can seize on other than, oh, Osof doesn't live here. Oh, Karen Handel bought chairs that were expensive or drove a Lexus. I mean, both of them, and really, Osof's problem is he's only 30, so he hasn't done much in his life after college. Handel's problem is she's done nothing with her life, nothing with her life after dropping out of high school. I mean, the reality is, yes, she's run six times for statewide office, now seven. She's lost everyone but two of those races uh, locally. Uh, she really didn't finish the terms that she had at the Fulton County Commission or or Secretary of State. You know, she got fired from her job at uh, Susan Komen after doing crazy stuff. So, you know, there's just really nothing you can really go after these candidates on beyond the first two or three commercials, and you run out of stuff. And in many ways, it's been a boring race. Uh, what's what's what neither candidate has done is really tie. Well, what Ossoff hasn't done is tie Handel to Trump. Because if I had been running against Handel, I would have pictures of Karen Handel morphing into Trump all day long. And I would have Trump's voice coming out of Ossoff, out of Karen Handel's mouth all day long. It's just terrific. It's just wonderful. It's just huge. We're going to get out there. We're going to beat them. It's going to win, win, win. Then I would, I would see all the failures, all the tweets of Trump coming out. You know, Ossoff in many ways has not necessarily run a negative campaign compared to what he could have done. Um, Handel, on the other hand, has gone after Ossoff on, on the things he's got issues with, you know, inflating his resume, uh, which I don't know why he did that. That was just stupid. Not living in the district, nobody really cares because he lives like a minute outside the district. You could literally get an apartment tomorrow and then that issue just goes away. Why he didn't do that, that's just stubbornness. He should have just done that and that would have been over because he clearly grew up in the district. Um, but you still didn't answer my question, David. Who's going to win? Who's going to win the 18-month House seat today? No idea. 
we know early. You and I both voted early, correct? Uh, so we don't know what the polls are like today. I'm, I'm going to drive by the Fulton County uh, office here and see what the polls are. I know where I drove on the way in past one of the churches where people vote in my new neighborhood. Uh, it was pretty empty. It wasn't that wasn't that big, and there was OSOP people out there. Uh, but it's uh, I think overall that Karen Handel should win this race, David. Um, everything about this district says Karen Handel should run this win this case running away uh, with at least fifty five to sixty percent of the vote. She should win it by ten to twenty percent. She should win it by 10 to 20 percent. David, you're shaking your head no. Why are you shaking your head no? Uh, Ossoff's got quite a, uh, quite a following. And, uh, got, uh, well, one thing he did was very powerful. He registered voters. And, uh, you know, he's got uh, anything that looks talks, smells, walks, a liberal is voting for him. And, uh, or conservatives who don't like Trump and Karen Handel. Well, you can't say that only liberal people vote for John Ossoff. You can't no, say that. No. So, you know, I think it's, uh, by the same token, I think that uh, Ossoff, Ossoff, whatever, uh, has misread the... Uh, Conservatives or the Republicans that live in the district that will turn out, you know, it's it's like my goodness. I don't know about you all, but we're supposed to have the "Don't Disturb" whatever on our phones, and we oh got, yeah, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant now. Do not we, call us. Yeah, we, we got, you know, I couldn't tell you how many recordings we got. Uh, you, know, you know the best part about moving in the middle of this? You lost it. You, they didn't phone got disconnected. <laughs> I only have cell phones now, so we got none of those calls. But before we moved, every night, two, three phone calls, polls, boom, 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 boom. And I just said just, goodbye. Oh, I goodbye. didn't, you know, yeah. Uh, coming from Atlanta, Texas, doing polling. and Yeah, well, the polling is coming from everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think it's it's clear to me that it's highly likely that Ossoff won the early vote. Would you agree with that? That That's everybody I've talked to says he's probably got more early votes than Karen because Democrats tend to vote early and Republicans tend to vote on Election Day. It's also quite clear that Handel will win Election Day as far as the number of votes cast. So it really boils down to who got the bigger margin on their votes. Uh, I know one of the things that Ossoff campaign is doing because it's all over my Facebook page is need to ride to the polls? Call me. I'll bring you out. You know, I have yet to see a handle voter on my on my Twitter on my Facebook feed. Hey, you want to vote for handle? Come, you know, let me know. I'll come get you. You know, I guess they presume that Ossoff voters don't have cars and handle voters do. Uh, but we know that that the uh, that there were tens of thousands. What was the number, David? Something like. 80,000 people voted, uh, registered to vote in the in this runoff that weren't registered in the primary? I mean, some crazy number. It was some crazy number. Uh, and if you presume that Republicans, conservatives, generally register to vote right away whenever they move and they're always registered to vote, you got to presume that a big chunk of that number is not Republicans. you got to presume that. Um, and so if that's really the case, maybe Handel's in trouble. But if Handel loses this race, 
it's because of uh, multiple things. One, she's a terrible candidate. Uh, two, she's probably only in for 18 months. Because if this race was really close, the Democrats are actually going to get somebody in this district to run against her who's an actual viable candidate with a serious background that can go after her on a lot of different issues once she's voting up in Congress. One would hope that uh, the Republicans would get a viable candidate. You know, maybe it's a, a primary challenge next time uh, would be really interesting. Um, and not this 11 or 12 or 15 people. Or no, you're talking one person. Or, yeah, one person that's supported by real people. Mm-hmm. So, David, how much will you get into my campaign if I run in a, in a, in a uh, contested primary against Everything Canada? I got in my left pocket. Sweet. 37 cents. That might be a little over. It'll be over your left pocket. Oh, right pocket, I was thinking, is where you keep all your money. That's where the, that's where the Mr. Moneybags is. Um, but I would suspect that next week we'll be talking about uh, Congressman Handel, is my guess. Um, uh, because there's literally no reason she shouldn't win. No reason whatsoever. This would, that would be her dream come true. Well, think about it. She's just got a, you know, she's been unemployed for I don't know how long. Uh, she inherits a hundred and $80,000 a year job with full, with full health insurance benefits. Is that, how, is that what they get paid at Congress these days? Yeah. So she's going to make more money than she's ever made. Uh, and um, she, can, she can start uh, beefing up her, her uh, 401K because I think after you serve one term, don't you get a full pension or you get like a, at least you get a, a 20th of a pension or something like that? So. She, she, she secures her retirement as part of this. Uh, it, is, uh, it is interesting uh, to see how, uh, how that will work out. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious. This is going to be an interesting night. Uh, I am uh, David Bob Polls close at 7 in Georgia. Uh, I am teaching a religion class tonight at church. Um, so I won't, I won't be in touch with the numbers until about, until about 8.30 or 9. I would guess this is a you know most people listeners who aren't here this is a very small district I mean this is not hundreds of miles across you can drive across this district in 20 minutes uh, from from Milton down to the freeway and then over to DeKalb it's 20 25 minutes uh, I don't know how many polling precincts there are but I would imagine that uh, Brian Kemp and the Secretary of State are just they're ready to put the numbers in as soon as the, the polls close uh, so we should we shouldn't have to wait till midnight to get poll results oh no. Uh, they have the early vote that they can, which already should be counted. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it should be counted already, right? Uh, and uh, so, I'm, I would suspect by about eight or nine o'clock, we'll, we'll know who the next congressperson from Georgia is. It'll be interesting to see if there's going to be a recount. You know, there's an automatic recount if it's within point oh five percent. Is that the automatic recount number? And polls are saying it's that close. You know, ultimately we'll see. I think a lot of people who initially were very reluctant to vote for Karen Handel will show up and hold their nose and vote for Karen Handel um, because they just can't stomach a Democrat in uh, another Democrat in the, in the Congress. You know, but that's not right. I, I personally could have handled a moderate to a conservative Democrat mm-hmm. over Karen, uh, but not a kid that's a wise-ass. You think he's a wise-ass? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I actually, I never got that. I've met him several times. I never got that impression of John Ossoff. In fact, uh, I've, I've always seen him as very respectful of people, and um, uh, he's just young. You know, the reality is, David, you you have a 30-year-old, don't you? Yeah, 
Yeah, and I've got several uh, in my, in my household. I they're just young and, and inexperienced, and you're just not going to get. But how do you explain Karen Handel then uh, and her wise ass comments? Let's, let's you know. Let's take a break here on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. Coming soon, only on AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. The insurance deal. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. In our last segment today, I have a, this week is going to be an interesting week. I am speaking this week at the annual conference of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, which, as you know, I was president of uh, almost a decade ago at this point, from 08 to 09. Uh, and this year I'm speaking on, on uh, investor visas. Uh, uh, we are unfortunately meeting in New Orleans. Uh, uh, I'm not a huge fan of New Orleans, personally. Um, because, you know, it's just always so flipping hot there. And it's humid. And it stinks like pee. <laughs> I'm sorry. The whole French Quarter smells like an outside urinal. And, of course, the conferences are always in the French Quarter. The French right? Quarter, yes. Uh, so I'll be going there tomorrow night. But even more important than that, David, uh, I am the invited uh, commencement speaker at the graduation uh, uh, of, at, at my high school, at my alma mater high school this year on Saturday morning uh, in the beautiful uh, upstate uh, uh, New York City uh, or Hamlet, really, town of Eldred, New York. Uh, I grew up... Uh, what are you going to tell those four people? Well, that's a great thing. You know, I grew up in a little town called Barryville, New York. Uh, some of our listeners will know where that is. It's a 500 people right on the Delaware River, about 90 miles upstate from New, from New York City. Um, David, you ever, you ever see those car commercials where the car's got like kind of on a road? It's all curvy uh, on a side of a, like a side of a mountain. That's called Hawk's Nest. That's not far from where I grew up, and they routinely close that road now to film commercials on there because it's just so beautiful, and especially in the fall when the colors pop out in upstate New York. So I grew up there in a town called Barryville, and our school was four miles away in Eldred, uh, and it's called Eldred Central School. Eldred was a remarkable place to grow up. Barryville was a remarkable place to grow up. Uh, in my graduating senior class of the class of 1980, uh, we had, I believe, 51 or 52 students. Um, in our high school, between all four grades, we had around 220 
young men and young women. But David, this is an Eldred Central School. Built uh, the building itself was built in the 1930s as part of the, uh, I think the WWW. Uh, or the, what, what was it? The Works Projects Administration (WPA) uh, housed actually the entire school from kindergarten through 12th grade. And kindergarten through 12th grade, we had approximately 600 students in the same building. So we actually, from the time you were in kindergarten and to the time you were senior in high school, you were literally in the same building. It was, in many ways, kind of magical growing up in a place like that uh, after we moved there uh, with my family. Uh, uh, some of the best friends in my life uh, are from that time period. Uh, we're still friends today. You can imagine that... Uh, the closeness that you have from growing up in a community like that where everybody knows you and you know everybody and everybody knows your father. As my dad used to tell me, I have eyes everywhere. And I was always terrified, even as a senior in high school, of doing anything too radically stupid because I knew my father would find out. And my father found it. My dad was a big guy. He was actually an inch taller than me and probably a few pounds heavier than me. And my dad always intimidated the heck out of me physically. He loved me, but he always intimidated the heck out of me physically. And I thought, you know, I think I'd rather not tick my dad off. Uh, and, and everybody's dad, I think, said those said and did those same things. But even today, some of my best friends are, are, are from there. And um, I am proud of the things that we've accomplished in our lives. And I was I was contacted by the school uh, I think the, the the person who contacted me is the is the advisor to the senior class this year, and she said, you know, we want to want to invite somebody back who's had a good life, who's went to Eldred, who's uh, done things that can that, that can show these kids there's something beyond this high school, that there is something more to life than just this high school. And as I've been thinking, David, about the things I could say and things I could talk about to these high school kids. Uh, I think about what I do for a living in my career, in my life. I think about my four kids, my five grandkids. I think about the people that we help every day. Uh, and I think back to the, that little classrooms uh, where there are two homerooms with, with 25 kids each. Uh, and, you know, learning American history and, and learning English and taking vocabulary and, you know, the, taking math. And just learning the basics of life in, in football and basketball and baseball. Everything really that I have accomplished, that I have brought forward, comes out of my time in that little school. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk about that on, on Saturday morning. Uh, and the things that you, you have to look at the greater world. David, I don't know if you went to a big high school or a small high school. You know, uh, and you probably don't have much contact with people you went to school with or knew about. And But I know these people. I know their hearts. I know their souls. I know what they've done. I've, I've, we've lived through tragedy together. We've lost some of our best friends. The uh, question and, is, are they going to be able to understand you with the southern accent? Well, I could begin speaking like this. I, I'm here from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we, we recently, from the recent unpleasantness, uh, we'll be talking about the war of northern aggression. I, th I think I'll revert to my full New York mode and talk nice and fast just like this, like I normally do. Um, and, and really impress upon these kids that, well, yes, there is just an amazing world out there. Uh, but you cannot make a difference in that world if you forget where you came from. Uh, if you forget the, 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 the traditions that you have learned, if you forget the lessons you have learned, the people that you have known, the people that you have loved, people that you've hated, the people that you've had fights with, the people that you've, you've fallen in love with. You can't 
be successful in life if you leave that behind, uh, unless you take with them the very best parts of those experiences. So I think I'm going to talk about that, and, and, and uh, they don't, they're probably not giving me an hour, I'm sure. I'm sure they want to get done with the graduation sooner rather than later. But I'm excited. I'm, first of all, I was, I was honored, stunned, you know, stunned and honored to be asked to go. Um, not that I have any particular pearls of wisdom to share with these young men and women, but I think I see in them me. You, know, you, you can go back. I'm sure you can, David, you can go back to your graduation day. You know, I'm sure in your mind you know what seat you were sitting in and the stadium you were in and the, and the chair you were looking at and who sat next to you. You might not remember their names, but you had this impression about what happened. I remember the same thing. I remember sitting next to my best friend, Phil, because he was next to me in the class. We sat in class order. At least the first ten of us sat in class order. Uh, and I knew I sat on my left. I know who sat on my right. Uh, and uh, I mean, I remember the speakers. Uh, I remember the honors that were given. I remember the awards that were given, the scholarships that were given out. Not in extraordinary clarity detail, but I have the feeling that comes from having sat there. And, uh, you know, if, if I can make any difference in somebody's life by words that I say at a graduation, most people forget those words. But uh, the reality is if you could take away a feeling and take away an idea from that, uh, you make a difference in somebody's life. And I'm just excited for that opportunity. I think I'm kind of excited about that. Anything, any words you think I should be sharing uh, from, from the great David uh, of America's Web Radio as part of this? Um, don't take any wooden nickels. I was thinking about coming a list of 10 things, you know, 10 things to remember, um, but they were all cliches. Uh, and, you know, the reality is, uh, uh, you know, things like your parents, they're not as stupid as you think they are. <laughs> you know, things like that. Your parents know what you do, do in fact, have your best interests at heart. They, you might want to listen to them. Don't do drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Uh, you know, you know, things, things, things that, that you, you know as a kid inherently, but you do anyway because you're stupid. Uh, you know, it's, I'm just very excited for this opportunity. So Saturday morning, do a little prayer in your heart for me. I'll be out there speaking at 10 o'clock at the graduation. I still have to find out whether I'm supposed to wear my, wear my robes or not. I, one thing I don't recall... Uh, from graduation, I, and I think it, they did. I think the principal wore, you know, because everybody, normal graduations like college, university, all the professors wear their graduation robes and stuff, and I still have my graduation robes from graduation from law school. Yeah, you'd wear your black with your yeah, my, 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 my Exactly, I got that. I got, my, actually, my, my mine was actually a maroon with black stripes, is, is Arizona State's uh, with the colored thing over the back that you, that you wear. Um, and uh, I'm not wearing the tap the top thing. The hats the hats off. But uh, I was very excited to see that it's going to be a beautiful day in upstate New York that day, uh, as it always is in the summertime. Super excited about the the opportunity to go up and and be part of that. It's, as you can imagine, it's kind of exciting to go back. I haven't been back home in a couple of years. Uh, my parents moved away uh, after I went on my mission to Peru, and I've only been back five or six times for re- reunions and stuff to see friends. And um, we're actually staying. At our, when I was there, the Catskills, these are the Catskills, called the, you know, the, especially called the Jewish Alps back in the day, Grossingers and, and, and uh, other, other summer, summer haunts uh, were frequented by people from the city. Uh, you remember the movie Dirty Dancing? Sure. That was, of course, set in the Catskills. And my, my best friend, Phil, his parents owned Robinson's. And it was one of those places where they had that kind of fun thing. They had the only pool in town. Robinson's burnt down years and years ago, and after his parents died, and uh, Phil died, and it, uh, it was uh, to go by there is very sad. But you know, at the same time, it's very you know very memory invoking. 
Uh, so I'm looking forward to going up there. But the uh, it was full of summer camps. In fact, I worked at a summer camp when I was a kid after because I didn't want to work for my dad anymore. It is a store, so I worked at summer camps, the Jewish summer camps. One of these camps is now a bed and breakfast, and that's where we're staying uh, when we go up there. I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, but I'm going to go go to a go to a concert up there. The Zach Brown Band is going to be in a concert. My friend and I are going to go with his with our wives, and uh, hey, we're looking forward to it. I got something for you. Mm-hmm. Every day should be worthwhile, and you know, live one day at a time, and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. But every day should also be memory worthy. Mm-hmm. Just think of how valuable it would be as if. Every day you could pull one memory out of that day. And 10 years from now you could think about, well, I remember that guy named David sat mm-hmm. across from him while I was doing my mm-hmm. show or whatever. But, you know, that's a you great can, point. If you can make a memory of every day. You know, the, the days you don't make memories of, those are lost days. Yeah. They're lost days. And it's so easy in our daily lives to get caught up in lost days, just churning out the same old thing day in, day in, what happened today. Yet every day we have a choice. And spell my name right when you. I will do that, David D A V I D. We have choices every day, right? To to make a difference in other people's lives. And I, I I have found that the best memories are made, not when you're doing something for yourself, but when you're doing something for somebody else. And when you do something for somebody else, and you make a difference in somebody else's lives, that just that tiny thing, they will remember you. So maybe you don't remember that little thing, but they will. It's it's all there are good points and I, I am I am just ultimately very excited for this weekend and look forward to talking about it. Uh, I, will, I hopefully my wife will be able to Facebook live it for me, David. Uh, and if you uh, don't mind, you make sure you look on Saturday morning for Facebook Live and we'll we'll broadcast uh, my little graduation speech. I'm excited for that. Well, David, that should be wrapping up our show for this week on America's Web Radio. Uh, on our in-state tuition lawsuit, we likely will not have a decision on that for several months. Um, we will uh, probably not have a decision on Jessica Colonel's case for a little while. They did issue her work permit. Thank you for the government for actually obeying the judge's order. And looking forward to, uh, to fighting the good fight for our clients. Uh, to all you immigration lawyers out there, don't give up. The fight is just beginning. We're going to have, we will, we will be victorious for our clients one day. And every day we have a chance to make that difference. This is Chuck Cook, your host of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.